Hello, fellow friends, family, and degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your host. We have a... I want to I want to lie to you and say we have a big weekend of fights coming up, but I looked a little bit closer at the card. It's it's a relatively tepid uh, uh, UFC event for a, a pay-per-view. That being said, it doesn't really matter because we're here not just to pick fights, but we're here to make you money. And it's always interesting and always fun when you got money on the line. So once again, just like I had at the last big UFC event, I've got Buck from Nerd MMA as my uh, my special guest again. So why don't you give a, a quick hello, Gu- uh, to Gus? <laughs> Uh, I was Buck. super happy to be here again. Uh, <laughs> I had a, I had an absolute blast last time um, making picks, uh, getting them right. Uh, I was a hundred percent correct. Nobody go back and uh, listen to the last episode. I, I got them all right. You can trust me with impunity for this one as well. <laughs> there you go. Well, that being said, uh, I think we did go four and two. I believe That's not too bad. Does that sound right? That's not too bad. I mean, what is the anything? If you're clearing fifty five percent, you're you're an expert. Well, for our for the Cage Wisdom universe, we decided to add another eight or nine percent onto that, just because that's what you're worth to us. Just because so, we care, because um, we care, and uh, I just so everyone knows, I, I don't want to make any uh, uh, you know hide any of this. I'm trying to get Buck to come on as a co-host, uh, but so far he, he you know, he's a little bit tepid because he thinks that my skill set is not up to his. So we're just going to go from there, and I'm going to see if I can't one-up him a little bit this time uh, with my picks and see if we can't get him on board. So what do you think, Buck? I'm just playing hard to get, but I want to see what you got. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. So I thought for this uh, for this uh, podcast, we'd, we'd go a little bit faster, uh, not necessarily do the full hour this time, because that was the original idea behind Caged Wisdom MMA is trying to do everything in, in 30 minutes or less uh, on the bigger cards. But we've got some pretty interesting... Uh, uh, you know, prelim cards that we want to go over with you. We've got a couple of our, our biggest lead pipe pipe locks. Well, the ones that I have anyways, uh, Buck and I have not discussed what our picks are yet. We'd like everything to be a little bit of a surprise, have a little banter back and forth. Uh, but let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, so the first one that I have, I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Drakkar Close versus Rafa Garcia. Yes, what correct. Do you think? That's the first one on the prelim. I I am a big fan of Drekker Close. I think he's done really well in his last couple, um, and he's made a, a good showing of himself. Uh, maybe he's not fighting like the highest talent lately, but when he has been competing against high level talent, he's been doing he's been doing really well. Um, his last big fight that um, he's probably famous for. Um, was against Benil Dariush. That was back in 2020, um, right before the lockdown started. And that was, it was a huge comeback win for Dariush, but it was a comeback because Drekker Close was putting the pace on him and putting in mm-hmm. excellent work. He pretty, uh, he pretty much handled that first round and was putting on an awesome performance. And, and I believe that that is, not Drakkar Close's ceiling, but I believe that he can replicate that sort of performance. And if he puts in a performance like that again against Hoffa Garcia, I think he gets it gets the win today. Oh, is it Hoffa Garcia? My bad. Uh, I'm gonna go with Hoffa. I, I agree with you. 
Is it Hoffa? Okay, whatever. Uh, you know, again, guess. this is the challenge of of MMA just in general. Is there's so many global names, it's it's hard to keep track of them. Sounds a little unprofessional, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and I think that uh, because after the injury that he had when he got pushed pre-fight by Jeremy Stevens, hurt his knee, was out for a while, had uh, a setback with the pandemic, and then his last fight, I believe it was in February or March. And he looked good there, too. And I, I don't think that Hoffa Garcia is, is anywhere near on the level of Drakkar Closes. I don't know you know, how much runway he's got to, to make a run for. I don't even necessarily know if he's in top 10 talent. You know, But going against Benil Dariush and, and being successful, uh, that's a feather in your cap no matter what. Because that guy is, you know, he's a top five for sure. And he seems to be getting better and better. But anyway, so we're going to take Drakkar Close at minus 205. And I think you're, you're on board with that, right? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good pretty good pick. Okay. Next fight in the prelims. And, and by the way, the Drakkar fight, I would consider to be one of our lead pipe locks, at least in my opinion. And then next fight is Drew Dober, who is minus 190 versus Rafael Alves, plus 160. Your thoughts? I never miss a Drew Dober fight. He is tons of fun. In his last, uh, his last outing, I think that was against Terrence McKinney. He put on like a real veteran performance and he's still a prospect. He, it, you know, he's been in the UFC for a, a, a couple of years now, but hasn't cracked, you know, the top of the top in lightweight, which is, you know, that's kind of understandable. Lightweight is just packed to the rafters right now still. Yep. And it's, it's been like that Best for a couple of years in the UFC by far. Yeah, there's a big By argument far. for that. I would, yeah. And Drew Dober, he is, he's such a strong wrestler. He has awesome control. He's got awesome defensive grappling. His instincts on the ground are everything that you need them to be. He hits like a truck. He's got good counters in exchanges. I'm always excited to watch a Drew Dober fight, I'll tell you. Yeah, and he's got the athleticism to boot. For, for a guy sure. that's built like he is, to move like he does. Um, and have the full package. I, I don't think he necessarily excels at anything. You know, I wouldn't put him in the category of, uh, um, you know, obviously not like a Khabib or anything like that. He just he's he's very very well rounded, and I think that makes him a threat to anyone up and coming into about the top ten, uh, top fifteen and below, or you know, fifteen and below that area. I think that that's that's probably what his his apex will be personally just because i haven't seen usually when i from the from an eye test perspective the the fighters that, that are able to crack the top 10 top five top three they they are very well rounded but they also do something so above and beyond what the rest of the competent competition is able to do i don't see that in drew dober but i know he's got a great chin and he's a really fun fighter to watch that's mm -hmm. why he's got my pick at minus 190 i think that's a solid choice he's just fought better competition um, and yeah. you know he's come off. He's had a couple of losses. He's lost to Benny Dariush, um, who we just talked about. He lost to Islam Hashev recently. But honestly, not not I, not something to hang your yeah about. That's a loss to Islam Hashev and a loss to Brad Riddell are not going to no. deter me from picking him against yeah against Javier no. Garcia. But that definitely falls in line with kind of that top, you know, top ten, top fifteen range. Yeah, that's what I think anyways. That's where I see him going. 
Next fight in the undercard, which I believe this is the the main event on the undercard, which is Alex Morono at plus 135 versus, uh, was it Matthew Semmelsberger, right? Am I saying that right? You're really good with names. Semmelsberger. Yeah. Yeah. Semmelsberger. Whatever. I was so close. So close. <laughs> Minus 155. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to take the great white. That's Alex Morono. Uh, I think, I, I you know, just similar to... Um. Oh my God, <laughs> I just absolutely blank. Similar to Drew Dober, uh, in the way that he puts on veteran performances, despite being newer to the promotion. He, it's not that like he's been, you know, he's been in, around for a couple of years, but I, I wouldn't say he's been like in the top ten a, as like an active title challenger. But despite not being, you know, a a title threat, he has put on a couple of seriously impressive performances in his last couple of fights. This is his first one of 2020, but, you know, he's he's good competition at middleweight. I think he... A a win over Alex Morono means something, you know, because he beats beats fighters like um, David Zawada... He beats fighters like, you know, he beats fighters that are very good. And and I think that makes him a good barometer in that division. So I, I'm sticking with Morono for this one. But I'll I will say that if he if uh, if if Semmelsberger gets over him, I'm going to pay a lot closer attention to him after this. Okay, this is definitely one that we're going to differ on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Alex Morono, he's tough. Everyone in the UFC is tough, but he's also relatively hittable. And he's got good boxing, but he's, you know, I, I also think he's a little bit undersized from a, a physical standpoint for the division. Mm-hmm. I think he could actually drop down a weight division, whereas I think Semmelsberger is um, exactly where he needs to be. Uh, I think that Semmelsberger has got, you know, more precise striking. He may not be, you know, is is hard charging, but I've looked at some of his his fights recently. And dude, the guy's got some amazing counter shots to him. He's able to dictate where the fight goes in a, in a lot of cases. Uh, but it's just everything's just a little bit more crisp than I see with Morono. And you, you factor that in with with Morono feeling, at least from my perspective, a little bit undersized, which means that his chin's going to be a little more tested i guess uh mm-hmm. you know because he's a little bit of a smaller frame uh I, I don't think that that lends very well to him winning this fight i think it's going to be a close fight it's not one that i would uh bet a lot of money on because i think it could go either way i actually think the odds are are pretty much right in line with where i would put them at minus 155 for semblance burger and plus 135 morono uh buck you're going morono i'm going semblance burger and i guess we'll just see where uh the chips lie Come Saturday, yeah. Morono is a is a. I'm confident picking that as an underdog. Okay, okay. Well, good. We always try to get one or two underdogs because I think it sucks having all the you know all the favorites being picked. But I don't like going out on a limb. I've done that before. I did that with Justin Gaethje versus Charles Oliveira, and I was like, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway because I'm an idiot. So I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to f- pick who I think is going to be the winner. Uh, anyway. So that being said, now we're going to get into the main card. There's definitely uh, some fights here that 
are much easier to pick than the undercard fights. And that's usually the case when you come to the to the main event, because there's fighters that, you know, you've seen you've seen their their, you know, their their book of work, if that's the right term, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the first one, uh, Magomed, Magomed Ankalaev versus Anthony Smith. Wow. Uh, I have been super duper impressed, just like everybody else, with Magomed Ankalaev. I love the addition of really creative and and confident striking to balance out his his wrestling. I think and, and I'm not trying to say that he's like new Khabib or he's better than Khabib or he has, you know, he's a bigger no. threat. Um but I mean you could watch Khabib's fights and when he engaged it his it was to get the fight to the ground he was willing to take a shot or two because he knew that the benefit of getting onto the ground was just going to outweigh any one or two shots he might absorb and to have that grappling skill or that confidence in your grappling and to measure it with a similar degree of striking makes both of them a, a bigger threat his um, he has a front kick knockout over Lugambula. I'm I'm definitely mispronouncing. It was that. a while ago. I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. And, and and front kick knockouts like that, especially from fighters like uh, like Ankalaev, come from the pre-established threat of level changes, fake and double legs vacant single legs, touching the body, going up top, and having competent, threatening weapons in every level makes each feint and makes each distraction that much more um, necessary to pay attention to. And I think blending those strikes and blending his takedowns the way that Uncle Iev does really makes him a threat in this light heavyweight division. There are not a ton of wrestlers at light heavyweight there's some they're good grapplers and anthony smith is one of them but not like uncle i have yeah i I would agree i think that uncle i have has got in addition to his grappling he you know for again i I don't really want to relate him to khabib because i think he's a completely different fighter he's definitely not as big of a threat on the ground from a control perspective as as khabib was but I do think he's a lot better striker than Khabib was. And he's got laser, laser strikes. But what I really like about Magomed is his ability to establish and stick to a game plan. We saw that when he was going against Tiago Santos. Uh, that presented a lot of challenges. And, you know, a lot of fighters, when they got cracked like he did, or maybe before that, would want to get one back. And what we saw with Magomed is that he got cracked, almost lost the fight. Uh, but was still able to implement and stick to his game plan. And I think that's the reason that he won because Tiago is, you know, arguably the hardest hitter in the, in the division. And you have to be really careful with that, you know, um, but he was also trying to put it on a good show because he knew that if you put on a, a really highlight performance, that probably would have put him uh, in line for the next title fight as opposed to fighting Anthony Smith. Uh, I think Anthony Smith has been punching above his weight class uh, and his capabilities for a while now. He's been a perpetual underdog, and he's always coming back and and surprising people. 
I, I think he's getting older. I think he's reached his apex. I think he reached his apex a couple of years ago. And um, even though he's on a, I think he's on a three fight win streak right now, right? He, I, I believe, believe so. he is correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's not against someone against Magomed Ankalaev, who is late twenties, early thirties. I think he's 30 right now. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, um, he's the next generation. He's the new blood. And he's also coming, you know, if you took a look at the uh, 11 MMA betting rules that I put together on the pod, one of the podcasts and also on my one of my most recent uh, Instagram posts. He's from that that caucus or the caucuses, northern caucuses region that just hasn't been figured out yet, hasn't been solved. So that blend, I completely agree with you, that blend of striking uh, in combination with the threat of the takedown and his ability to control people on the ground makes him a unique threat, and he's got a uh, 205-pound champion written all over him because I don't think that Yuri is going to have a whole a significant chance against him um, being the fact that he's so dependent on the stand-up. And also, I, you know, he didn't look that great against Glover Teixeira. The, the game plans just weren't that great. Uh, he seems to be an emotional fighter, whereas I think Magomed is a little bit more cerebral. Uh, Jiri Prochaska is one of those fighters where I sort of take all of my analysis with, you know, and I filter it through the lens of, but this is Jiri Prochaska, so does it even matter? So I <laughs> I don't know if I'll get into yeah. how Uncle Live matches up with Jiri. Let's see him get through Anthony Smith first. Um, Smith is a competent really talented grap uh grappler in um he will separate you know so to speak he separates the men from the boys at light heavyweight and but what about what about santos though santos i believe is a better fighter or in a better position right now yeah. i think that santos would beat anthony smith so it, it almost seems like a step a step down in a way and that's no disrespect to anthony smith but anthony smith is pretty deep into his career right now i mean he's got what 37 wins. Uh, yeah, he's got you, a lot of fights under his belt. You mentioned um, going back to your rules, your 11 MMA betting rules, and one of them that I'm going to I'm gonna call on right now is noting where a fighter is in their career and their age. So Anthony Smith is 34, and your cutoff was 35 kind of as an average. 35. That's where we start yep. to see people – just their reactions get a little bit slower. Their timing gets a little bit less precise. Their cardio, just no matter how hard they train, starts to take notches away, you know, bit by bit by bit. And, you know, Anthony is still 34, which is right in the prime, especially at those heavier weight classes. But he's 52 fights into a career, and that ages yeah. a person a lot. 52 fights, yeah. age, I mean... And he's been in some whatever, wars, too. Absolutely. Whatever age you see, if you see 52 fights, add another five years. That takes yeah, that takes a lot out of a person's career. Uh, and that takes a lot out of a person for the rest of their life. And Anthony Smith has more than most people will ever have, but I don't know if it's enough against... Yeah, it's not. And I think the odds are correct. Minus 520. Would I would I bet this one? You know, I probably would if I stuck it into I don't like to parlay it all in in MMA betting because anything can happen. Uh, Like we talked about if you were going to parlay, if you were going to do it, I would add this one in there. 
Yeah, I would too. Yeah, because the odds alone just take that straight up. No, that's not. No, no, that's what I'm gonna do. All right, so we're both in agreement. Magomed mm-hmm. Ankalaev minus five twenty would be best to wrap him up in a parlay. Next fight, Alexander. Alexander. Alejandre Pantoja. Pantoja. Jesus Christ. I think it's Alexander Pantoja. Minus mm-hmm. 190 versus Alex Perez, who's plus 160. So I like Perez, and I want to give him... I want to make sure he gets the credit he's deserved. Um, it is easy to kind of count him out because he has taken such a long break. His last fight was in 2019, 2020, uh, against Davison Figueredo for the title. He fought Figueredo for the title the same night Brandon Moreno fought Brandon Royval. Um, and then they mm-hmm. rematched and then they had their trilogy soon after that. So, Perez hasn't been back in the cage since then, but he's been booked, I think, like five times. Didn't he I miss think? weight? Like real, real bad last time? I, that might have been him. Uh, but I, I know yeah. he has had a, a number of bookings. I think he missed the weight against the title fight, as a matter of fact. I think, I think it was when he was fought Davison Figueredo. They came in like six or seven pounds over. It was, it was, a, it was a big. A big amount. So, so the thing about um, being out for two years, and Dominic Cruz will tell you that ring rust isn't a thing, but being out of the the routine is. And hearing that he has had a number of fights booked means that he has started a number of camps. It means he has begun the process over and over and over again and kept himself sharp. So I'm going to take that into account during his, you know during his walkouts while I'm considering, you know, I'm going to weigh that against his long layoff. And, and, and he, and keep in mind that his last fight was for a title that he earned. He, that wasn't a controversial Mm -hmm. title shot. That was a title shot that he earned. He beat some very, very threatening 125ers. He beat Juicy A Formiga, Jordan Espinoza at Formiga, who's not in the, in the promotion anymore was, just i mean he was running rampant through that division anybody who was anybody fought gca formiga and how you performed against him spoke volumes to where you belonged in that division and to get him out in round one is very very impressive so i'm trying to talk him up however pantoja has been much more coming yeah Pantoja's been way more active. He hasn't fought this year, but he's had two last year. Um, and they were both pretty good performances. He fought uh, Manel Kopp, who that was close, but Manel Kopp has a ton of hype and, and, and had a lot coming over from Ryzen as this finishing machine. And and when he came over to the, the UFC, he got shut down. Um, eventually he got over on Ode Osborne, I think, with a flying knee. But when he made his his really highly anticipated debut into the UFC, he got shut down, and Pantoja was one of the guys that did it to him. And I and I don't want to take that away from him. 
Also, Brandon Royval, who's in title contention. These are good wins that he's just had. I think I think Pantoja has the grappling necessary to get onto Perez's back. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna get him by submission. Yeah, I, I mean I looked at the odds, so is it minus one ninety for Pantoja? This is what I would consider to be one of my lead pipe locks. Basically, exactly everything that you just said. Uh, I also think he's got a little bit bigger frame. I don't know the age difference, but Pantoja's young. And when you're young, there's there's a lot of progress that goes on in between fights. Um, and he already came in at a, at, a, at a high level, right? You know, fighting mm-hmm. Brandon Roy Val. I mean, these are really, really good fighters. Now, is it, it's not the deepest division in the world. As a matter of fact, I would say it's probably the the weakest division when it comes to uh, UFC men's. But I can't take any credit away from that. So I think that this is going to be uh, a pretty one-sided fight for Pantoja. And so, you know, what is it, plus 110? If you were to take this under two and a half rounds, that's what I would do. Uh, or you can bet it straight up, wrap into a parlay. This is definitely one that I see going uh, our way here. So, okay. I am also, I'm going to, before we jump to the next fight, I I am going to say this was one for me personally, I would not put in that parlay. I'm, I would be comfortable betting on Pantoja to win by submission, uh, later in the, later in the fight, maybe round two or three, but I don't, this is one that I am less confident in wrapping up in a parlay. Okay. Fair enough. Still pick Pantoja. Sometimes it's sometimes okay to be wrong. You know what I mean? So, uh, Derek Lewis, plus 120 versus, and this is yesterday's numbers from DraftKings line, mm-hmm. uh, versus Sergey Pavlovich. Pavlovich. Hey, good one. Whatever, minus 140. Yeah, there you go. Um, your thoughts on this one? Um, Derek Lewis is just better than almost anybody that Sergey Pavlovich has fought. His last couple of wins are against some of those heavyweights that just stick around because they're big. I think Pavlovich, uh, when Pavlovich fights the top heavyweights, he has lost. In He has only lost once, but that was to Alistair Overeem a couple of years ago. And this was. An aged, an aged Alistair Overeem. Yes, by the way. this was Alistair Overeem on his third or fourth career revival. Um, and yeah. it was not close. Overeem yep. took him down and controlled him pretty handedly. And um, yeah, and finished him early. And um, man, if you are on the ground and you are under Derek Lewis, you better be a black belt in getting back to your feet. And if you are not, it's going to be a very short night. I think Derek. Well, and also yeah. Sergey. Yeah, he struggled with takedowns against Alistair Overeem. I don't even mm-hmm. think he got one. I know Alistair got one on him. I don't see Derek, especially at this stage in his career, a big takedown threat. You know, like you see with a lot of the heavyweights as they get north of, of 35, they start mm-hmm. relying on their on their knockout power. But he's got knockout power that we don't see very often. Well, right? I'll, tell, I'll tell you what. Um, Derek Lewis has a pretty tricky, unexpected inside trip from the clinch. I... I'm surprised every single time I see it, but I've seen it a couple of times. When they engage, does he go for very much anymore? When they're engaged on the on the cage, uh, Derek Lewis will get an overhook on the side that's far away from the cage, and he will 
stick his outside leg through that like in between and hook around yep. the the opponent's leg that's farther away from the cage and he will peel the guy away and and fall through on an inside trip and that's the only takedown i've ever seen him hit but he's gotten it a couple of times and and pavlovich i know he's from eagle mma but he i i have not seen a ground game out of him he is a boxer through and through every single one of his finishes is by punches he does you know he doesn't shoot for takedowns he has great hands and great hands at heavyweight tries yeah they'll carry you a long way but I think the people who beat Derek Lewis are people that can strike from the outside confidently and keep that going for the duration of the fight. Junior Dos Santos did that to him, and Cyril Gaon did that to him. There, there, you can you can beat Derek Lewis, uh, like Tai Tuivasa did, like Mark Hunt did, but you have to be really really confident really really close in and i think pavlovich lives in that middle range too much with his boxing but think about what you just said i mean talk about having a uh a blueprint mm-hmm. the guys that are able to beat him at his own game are two of the hardest hitters with the best chins that have ever you know may have existed in the ufc <laughs> yeah two of us is a legend mm-hmm. and mark hunt obviously a legend as well when it comes to that side of it and then you know, really good boxers that have extra distance, able to maintain that. So here's what concerns me about Sergey. In fights where he gets somebody hurt, he is a, a significant blitzer. And that is the one thing that I see oftentimes happen against Derek Lewis is they catch him. He, as a matter of fact, a lot of times he plays possum and he pretends that he's hurt and he waits for them to come in. He drops his head way down to the right, almost like he's doubled over. And mm-hmm. you can tell he's got his left eye kind of like peeking up, waiting for him, and he just unleashes. Now, is that a really good long-term strategy that's repeatable over and over again? No, it's not. But, man, has it worked a lot. And it's worked a hell of a lot more than I feel like it ever should have at that level. But you're going against heavyweights. And that's that's why these guys are used to knocking people out, rushing in, and, and finishing the fight. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's like a programming issue with them. I, I don't understand how it happens all the time. But, man, he, he gets it all the time. And you're right. A lot of times they'll blitz in, and he'll be able to rotate him around and do that uh, that inside that inside trip and get him down. And once he's on top of him, uh, it's a challenge. My biggest concern with Derek Lewis is him gassing out, and also if he's going against a really good wrestler and someone that can take him down and then pin him down because he gets so exhausted when he's underneath somebody, and he doesn't make any facial expressions, which makes me scared of that guy. You know, <laughs> he just doesn't. You don't know if he's having a good day or a bad day, but. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good bet, and that's an underdog bet for both of us. So trying to stick with that, but even if it was an underdog bet, I would still take Derek Lewis. I can't believe that's an underdog. I yeah, I think the I ways either. the ways you tire Derek Lewis out are by pushing a pace, and if you are engaging and getting countered and getting hit with heavy leather like Derek Lewis throws, and you slow down, Derek Lewis will fight at his pace and and if he's fighting at his pace then he can go for the whole the whole 15 minutes and yep. and then once those 15 minutes start ticking away and you've got you know 90 seconds left and you really you realize oh no i need to close this show i spent too much time you know trying to stay away from that big right hand 
then you have to charge in. You have to start taking bigger risks. And the consequences of taking risks with Derek Lewis are are not ones that I am comfortable betting against. I completely agree with you. All right, so Derek Lewis, <coughs> excuse me, as of yesterday, plus 120. We're both taking him. Next is Brandon Moreno, minus 210 versus Kai Kara France, France, France. Was he plus, plus 180? Mm-hmm. Brandon Moreno for this one, I think. I think I'm very impressed with Kai Carfrance. I've loved what I've seen from him. I love that he has the pop at flyweight, which is just not something that everybody can pack. Um, But he gets that pop by putting his whole body weight into shots. Um, That's not an easy thing to do, but he sets those shots up very well. Not every swing is a big wild haymaker. Not every kick is spinning him around on his axis if he misses. He strikes quick. He goes low. He goes high. He's got a great diversity of strikes and knows when. Absolutely. And he knows when he can set a strike up to put a ton of juice behind it. And he lights people up. His overhand right where he caught Cody Garbrandt in his last fight um, not his last fight, but uh, before the Askarov yeah, fight. Yeah, two fights ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he knows when to get in those quick exchanges. He knows when he's setting shots up, and then he knows when to take those big hammers that he's set up already. However, if you were going to prepare somebody to fight Kai Kara France, if I was going to create the perfect scenario to prepare a fighter for Kai Car France, I would have them fight Davis and Figueredo three times. And and that's what Brandon Moreno just got out of. I think I don't I don't think he's going to be blown away. I don't think he's going to be made to be uncomfortable by that power that Car France has. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also, you know, one of my rules is whoever can dictate where the fight goes has a dramatic advantage. Brandon Moreno's hands have come online in the last three years on a dramatic level because he was known as a, as a submission grappler for a long time. And then when he fought against Davidson Figueredo, we saw a completely, it looked almost like a different fighter at that time. You know, my biggest concern with Brandon Moreno is has he adjusted to be able to check the leg kicks because he was operating so much on mental toughness that mm-hmm. he was willing to absorb some of these dramatic kicks that uh, ended up being the downfall, I believe, in the last Davis and Figueredo fight. And uh, if he's able to adjust that, I think that this is going to be, uh, it won't be an easy fight. This is going to be a razor-thin fight regardless. But he's already got a win over Kai Kara France. Uh, we, we know what he has to work on in order to do it. We've seen that he is really uh, an adept professional and he does make adjustments based on who he's fighting. I think that the the Figueredo was a wrinkle that he wasn't prepared for. But just mm-hmm. like we saw his hands come online over the course of a couple of years, I think we're going to see a very significant difference. Because if he doesn't, coming out of city kickboxing, if he's not prepared for those uh, those those leg kicks and those calf kicks, then then he's, he's not doing his job. And, and I believe that he's an absolute professional. And on top of that, he's got the heart for it. And uh, I think he's going to give... Kai Kara France, a lot of different looks that are not going to allow him to get comfortable in setting up his, his big combinations. And, you know, he's going to do some pretty good, uh, you know, good timing and, and change levels and put Kai Kara France down, or at least encourage some scrambles, 
which is going to be a real big problem for him because just like Askar Askarov is a, a really good wrestler, he doesn't have the hands that that Brandon Moreno does, right? Absolutely. Having, so he's not as big of a risk. In both areas, yeah, absolutely. And in the, the in between, mm-hmm. and in the in between is really important too. So I, I see this definitely going Brandon Moreno's way. I I almost think the odds are a little bit skewed. I think it's a little bit closer than this, but I. I can see uh, a game plan for Brandon Moreno to win. I can't see uh, Kaikara France being able to implement a game plan that's going to allow him to win at this point, unless he's, you know, he can throw knees up the middle or front kicks, keeping Brandon Moreno away. But man, for five rounds, that's a, that's a big ask of anybody. Yeah, I'm confident in picking Brandon Moreno for this one, and I would say, okay. if you had to pick a method, decision. I think this is going all the way. Kaikara France. I don't know if he's got the tools to win, but man, is that guy tough to put away? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And and they're at the at the flyweight, so you know the 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 knockouts are a little bit further and fewer between. And and I think that's the only way that Kai Kara France is gonna uh, beat Brandon Moreno. I think Brandon could submit Kai Kara France, but I don't think it's gonna happen. I think Kai Kara France is. Do I have to say Kai Kara France? Can we just is it Kara France or something like that? Or KKF, yeah. There you go. I mean, even his nickname it is. is two words. It's "Don't Blink," yeah. which doesn't roll off the tongue either. Yeah, that's like fucking. That's like five or six syllables. I got to go through to do that. I'm not doing it. I'm done. See, that's why you're gonna lose because I don't want to have to say your name anymore. Um, okay, so the final fight, the big one, the rematch, which is Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunez. Man, the last, the first fight between those two was interesting for a couple of ways. One, I think... I think that... You know, there's a lot to be said about was Amanda Nunes in the right mentality? Was she in the right headspace? Was she underestimating Pena? Was she, you know, and X, Y, Z? There's a bunch of things. For me, that's a lot of black box. You don't know what's going on in there. So I'm just going to have to operate off of what I saw in that last that last fight. And what I saw was Amanda Nunes pretty pretty easily dominate that first round. She got a couple of good knockdowns, which were big and you know and, and Peña was able to, you know, keep her wits about her and control, you know, survive really well on the ground. She controlled Amanda's hands and you know, even though she was on bottom, she wasn't getting hit which was huge because that led to that second round where she was able to to change the momentum. But I think that second round, I think the 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 beginning of the end, so to speak, happened with one of those dipping jabs that Pena threw. And it's a great strike. You're dipping your head off to the, you know, right if you're an orthodox fighter and all of your weight is going behind that straight line. Your both shoulders are in line, and you're just stuffing a steel pipe right down the hole. You know, it's a stiff jab where you put your body weight into it as you duck off to the side. It's a great stiff warding punch. And one of those caught Amanda Nunes as she was coming in, and I think that rocked her. Her behavior changed after uh, early in that second round and once she got hit once you could see that her game plan went away and she just wanted to get that back so 
We talked about that early, mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, she this, just this wanted is what to... some of the top tier fighters don't do. Mm-hmm. But she's not used to it. She's well, you know, that. and 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 being a top tier fighter means you have to use your top tier brain. And if you get rocked and you're floating there, you just you're operating on instinct. You know, all the game planning in the world goes out the window when you are fighting through. You know, when you're blinking out stars. You know, so all she knew was I have to get that back. And she started loading up on big jabs, but kept her head right in the center line. And so her and Pena would trade jabs. Pena's head was down and away because she was dipping as she threw. And so Pena came out on top in every single one of those jabbing exchanges. And then Nunes would switch and lead with a big overhand right that Pena could defend with that big wall of a shoulder that she could put up as she was throwing that dip and jab, getting her head out of the way, or she would throw naked low kicks and low kicks are great. I like them very much, but if you are way out of range and you take a big step in with a low kick against somebody who has been countering all of your strikes with jabs, and then you get countered with a jab, I don't know what to tell you at that point. So, if, if, you know, if we get round one of Amanda Nunes um, back for this second fight, I, I think she's just going to steamroll Pena. You know, I, I like what Pena can do. I like what she's done in the division. But I think she just, she gets hit too much. And, and you just can't get hit by somebody who hits like Amanda Nunes. Yeah, I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction. And... I, you know, was Juliana Pena deserving of a of a title shot? You know, that one kind of came out of left field, and it's because Amanda Nunez has more or less cleaned out the division. Yeah. And the most high-profile fight that she had, you know, outside of Ronda Rousey was against Valentina Shevchenko, which was, I believe, a, uh, a decision win. So Amanda Nunez left ATT, the, the, the group that, or the team that got her there. And... She did not look like the Amanda Nunez that I'm used to seeing when she came in and fought against Juliana Pena. And it looked like her cardio was a little bit off. You know, we heard a lot of hymns and haws about, you know, it was a bad training camp. It was rough. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this time and time again. Fighters that, loo- that leave their, their camp and either go off on their own or, you know, like Brock Lesnar who's training with people that he knew, like people that aren't going to challenge them. They're not going to coach them. They're not going to be have the final authoritative voice on what needs to be trained on what adjustments we need to make uh, either before the fight or during the fight. And, you know, Amanda talked about, I don't still know really what her reasoning was behind leaving ATT, but she did mention something along the lines that she wanted to, to build uh, her own gym, have a legacy, a retirement uh, something that would be, you know, funding her retirement when she was done, something that have her name on it, et cetera, so on and so forth. That makes me really, really nervous because mm. she's cleaned out the division. Uh, she's going against talent that that's probably not that exciting for her to go against, like the Ronda Rousey of the world, because I, I guarantee this pay-per-view is probably going to sell maybe 200, 250K. It's just not that big because, you know, it was a. It seemed almost like a fluke win, and I think most people are going to write off Juliana Pena. You know, it was minus eleven hundred uh, the first fight that they, they went. Now it's minus two eighty. It seems like really good odds. Now, 
if Amanda Nunez was in this current mindset and she was going to be fighting Valentina Shevchenko again, I would not bet on Amanda Nunez because I feel that she might have one foot out of the UFC right now. Just mm-hmm. looking at some of those other things that are going on. Uh, you can't do that against someone like Valentina Shevchenko. I think you can get away with it with someone like Julianne Pena, but I don't think it's as crystal clear as we all lead to believe because I think we're getting wrapped up in the the lioness that we've seen for the last eight or nine fights where she's blown the doors off people. And now we have to wonder if she comes in. I know she's had losses before, but she has not been challenged. She's been number one pound for pound compared to number one pound for pound to ever be on the UFC roster. Mm-hmm. And then she gets taken out by a jab, tries to earn it back, can't do it, and then gets submitted. But she was getting thoroughly dominated in that in that second round. So what is this going to do to her confidence level? She's a mother. She's walked away from her team. She started her own gym. She's going to have a bunch of yes men that are in her training corner. Maybe even her wife is in her training corner. I don't know who's going to be there cornering her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you that anytime that you walk away from the best in the world, the best training partners in the world, you're not going to get better. You're just not. And especially at her stage in her career, which she's not getting excited. She's already clearly thinking about the future. Um, I, I think that, that Amanda Nunez is going to win this fight. I don't think it's going to be a, a doors blown off necessarily unless she clips her in the first round. I think if it gets into round two and three, it's going to get really interesting because I see Juliana Pena as being hungry. And I see Amanda Nunez as thinking about what her life's going to be like after the UFC as a mother and as a business owner. That's pretty convincing, man. I, you know, um, that could that you know I wouldn't be surprised honestly if Amanda won this fight and then hearing what you just said, put the gloves down, because yep. it it does feel like what is there left for her if she gets this belt back? Yeah, she could do a trilogy. It, you know, I guess. Um, would the value of that trilogy outweigh going out on top? for her brand, for her future businesses, something like that. So that, you know, that's an interesting speculation on the future of her career. As, you know, as it concerns Saturday night, I think she still has what it takes to come out on top. I I do too. I just think that you can't come in half-baked at this level. And I, I agree with you. I think a dedicated Amanda Nunez would would blow the doors off Juliana Pena. And I think most do, but I think more importantly, it's, it's really difficult to bet against someone that is recognized universally as the best woman fighter to ever lace up the gloves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had a performance that didn't meet our expectations, but does that mean that she can't do it? Anyone that would be foolish to think, especially in a women's division at 145 with her power, uh, that that's a power that most women, you know, outside of maybe cyborg, haven't ever felt mm-hmm. before. And you have to factor that in. And so I think that she's good enough to get it done. I know she's good enough to get it done. I just have real concerns about what the next three or four fights look like. And what's also what's alarming to me is she's talking about utilizing a, a gym with her brand on it as a, as a retirement, meaning that, you know, that's what's going to fund her retirement. Won't she make a lot more money fighting in the UFC than she ever would uh, running a gym, it just seems strange. Unless she's doing a lot of other extracurriculars that we're not familiar with at this point. 
you know, maybe should make a lot more money as the UFC champion, but it's kind of at at some point it becomes which one can you do for longer, you know? You can yeah. be Amanda Nunes gym owner until you're 70, but you can't be Amanda Nunes the fighter for another 10 years, you know? Yeah, but I don't know what I don't know what she's talking about retirement. Shit, you got to be working your ass off, be cleaning bathrooms and stuff for the next 5 years before that thing is off the ground. All right, so um just to recap on the undercard, we have Drakkar Close at two, minus 205. Drew Dober as our picks, minus 190. Uh, I've got Matthew uh, Semmelsberger, and Buck has taken Alex Morono at plus 135. Uh, Semmelsberger is minus 155. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev at minus 520. Alexander uh, Alejandre Pantoja at minus 190. Nice. Derek Lewis, plus 120. Brandon Moreno, minus 210. And Amanda Nunez minus two eighty. Um, and if you're gonna bet big, go big on Nunez. I mean, those odds are ridiculously uh, good for for you know her resume. Uh, again, there's just concerns about if she really wants to be there anymore. But again, um, Buck wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on the call with us, doing the pod with us. We obviously love having you. Hopefully, we're gonna make this a regular thing. So I think there's a really good uh, back and forth talking about this. Um, but that being said, what you got plans for Saturday night? What are you going to do? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to do what I do every Saturday night and we're going to go out. We're going to hit a bar and we're going to get drunk and we're going to eat wings and we're going to scream in front of a bunch of people who are just trying to watch a football game and mind their own business. There you and go. I wouldn't have it any other way. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be, uh, getting together with a couple buddies to watch it as I always do on these big fights, checking in on Instagram uh, you can catch me on Instagram, which is Caged Wisdom MMA, and that's the the handle name. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll try and do a recap probably on Instagram next week, letting you know how we did, how things looked. Uh, in the meantime, love love the Caged Wisdom universe out there. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will be back for the next big fight, USC two seventy eight. Thanks again, Bob. Take care.